you would uh, pray with me, and then we're going to look at that passage together in Romans chapter 5. But let's pray first. Lord, we thank you uh, for this opportunity to be together. Uh, we thank you for this beautiful day that you have created. We thank you for this place that you've provided. We thank you that we can gather together as your people, that we can come directly to you in prayer, uh, that we can sing your praises, that you have preserved your word from us, for us, that we can hear directly from you. And so we just pray this morning as we do, as we open your word, Uh, that you would teach us, that you would lead us, that you would guide us into all truth. Uh, We confess that we cannot do this without you. And so we ask that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds, that you would take the eternal truth of your word and apply it to us, that you would shape us and mold us more into your image this day. And we would leave here uh, in an overflow of joy for who we are in Christ and what you've done for us. Uh, We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for this time that we have together, and we pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Um, About, uh, well, not about 10 years ago, 10 and a half years ago, uh, my brother Jed uh, was 15 months younger than I am, grew up my best friend, died in a car wreck uh, just down the road from here, not too far. Uh, Jed and I were in school together, basketball, everything, did everything together, uh, one grade apart, all the things that go with that. Uh, lived here close by, and uh, one night Jed got in a car with a couple of buddies, um, reckless driving by the guy driving, uh, maybe under the influence, some different things going on there. But what happened is there was a car wreck, and Jed was thrown from the car, and he died, and both the other guys walked away. Um, they walked away with minor injuries and scrapes and bruises. Uh, over the next year or so, uh, in that, there was a long court case and all that goes with that, and the guy driving. Uh, through his recklessness and all those things, he got probation and two weeks of community service. And um, when that all happened, to go through that with your, your little brother, who you love dearly, um, it was really difficult. And it was hard to go through that. You mourn the loss of your brother. Uh, you go through the emotions that go with that. I remember thinking, uh, if I would have just called him that day and asked him to come over, those kind of thoughts go through your mind. Maybe you would have been at my house instead of there, and that wouldn't have happened. And so you go through things like that. Um, you go through those kind of scenarios. There was some anger in there, um, some struggle for forgiveness and all that. Uh, thankfully, uh, a whole lot of talking with God through all of that, all the way, seeing God's grace in the midst of that. Uh, but a struggle of that was, was forgiveness in that. Um, how do I move forward and how do I forgive and how do I uh, go forward in all these ways and these different things and all the emotions that go with that? And, and I share that just to say that um, when we struggle with this idea of forgiveness that we're going to talk about this morning, uh, it can be really, really difficult. And, and my guess is if, if we were to go around the room and share different things that happened in our life, you could probably tell similar stories in the sense of something difficult happening to you or someone that you loved, where there's an opportunity for you to extend forgiveness, but it's really, really difficult. And it's really hard to do so. Or, Or similarly, we could go around and probably share different times in our life where we've really blown it. Have we really made a mistake? Or maybe we really wronged someone else. And the idea of accepting forgiveness has been very hard. And I think all of us could connect to that in some way or another. Either receiving forgiveness or being able to extend forgiveness to someone else. Uh, Maybe you're struggling with that today. 
Maybe it's a relationship that you have that's in your life that you're struggling to forgive someone or you're struggling to receive forgiveness from mistakes or things that you've done or mistakes that you've made in your life. And so this morning we're going to talk about this idea as we're in this series, just a short series for four weeks on looking at the cross of Jesus and how it changes and shapes the way we see things. Last week we talked about the way it changes and shapes the way we see ourselves. But today we're going to talk about the way it changes and shapes the way we see forgiveness, the way we receive forgiveness and the way we extend forgiveness to others by seeing what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so it's multifaceted. Like I said last week, I'm not going to cover everything by any stretch as we come to a huge idea like that of forgiving others and being forgiven. That's not going to just be 30 minute sermon and we've covered all that. And so we'll just say that up front. But I do want us to think a little bit just of those broad strokes of how I receive forgiveness, how I accept the forgiveness that God has given me in Christ, but then also how I extend that to others and why that's so important. And so this morning, we're going to look at that passage that we just read a minute ago in Romans chapter five. We're also going to look at verse in Ephesians 4, and then something that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. And all of that together is going to kind of help us come to this idea of what the Bible says about this. Why it's such an important topic to talk about when we talk about forgiveness. Whether accepting forgiveness or extending it to others. And the way I want us to look at it is just as we think about this idea. is One, the problem that we face when it comes to this idea of forgiveness. Two, the power to change it. And then lastly, the hope that we have for the future when we see all of this through the lens of the cross. So the problem we face, the power to change it, and then the hope that we have. And so... Let's start with just the problem we face. Uh, let me just begin in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, you can turn there if you want to. You don't have to. This is Jesus teaching. Uh, it's what we call the Sermon on the Mount. He's given a lot of teaching, a lot of great, big, huge ideas here. But in the middle of that, Jesus uh, teaches his disciples to pray. It's what we call the Lord's Prayer. Probably the most quoted, one of the most famous passages. Uh, you'll certainly know it. But Jesus says this. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then listen to what he says right after that. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And then in Ephesians 4, listen to what Paul says. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. And so I want to start just right here with this big idea, the problem that we face with forgiveness. First, it's hard. It's difficult to do. But it is commanded and it's necessary. Jesus makes a clear uh, command here to forgive others. He says, you forgive others and Father will forgive you. He even teaches us to pray that way. We see Paul saying, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit to say, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. And it's a direct command of God to forgive others. So it's a pretty important thing when we start to talk about forgiveness, accepting God's forgiveness, but then extending it to others. And it connects it here. Jesus connects it to the way we pray for our own forgiveness. 
that we, we would see those two together. He links them so closely together. Paul does the same thing in Ephesians 4, that you would forgive others in the same way that God in Christ has forgiven you. And there's a real clear link here in the Bible. The way in which we extend forgiveness is as an overflow of the way we have received forgiveness from who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. And that's a huge idea. And it's a really important idea. So much that God commands us to forgive others. And Jesus even connects that your understanding of who God is and what he's done for you is directly related to the way you forgive others. But that's really difficult. But it's necessary. And it's commanded. And so I want us to think about why it's so difficult and why it's so hard to do so. And so if you would look at the Romans 5 chapter there with me, we're going to spend most of our time in that. In verse 6, he says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. In that, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall be saved by his life. And so the first thing I want you to see here is just the weightiness of the language that Paul uses. He talks about us being enemies with God. He talks about us being sinners who the wrath of God is on. We are enemies that need to be reconciled. And he says all of these things God has forgiven in Jesus. He's reconciled us to Christ or to God through Christ, what he's done for us. And the weightiness of the language that he used there when he talks about sin and rebellion. This goes to all the things we talked about last week and who we are apart from Christ. That in our sin, we've chosen to ignore God and the world he created to rebel against him. And so we have this this break in our relationship with him that needs to be forgiven. We desperately need forgiveness in the very core of our being to be in relationship with who uh, with the God who created us. And the problem that we begin to see the emotions that come out of that break from our sin, the guilt and shame and frustration, the hiding, all those things that come out of that is, is real. It's not just an emotion. And it's not just a feeling. It's going to the very heart of the way we were created and the way we were made and what we were made for. Commenting on this passage, Tim Keller says this, The universe is not simply made of metal and of wood or simply made of nature, the physical, but it's also made of moral truth and moral values and moral principles. And these moral values are every bit as real and you will knock your head against them every bit as hard as you will against a brick wall if you don't acknowledge that they're there. Do you hear what he's saying? That God has made the world in a certain way. And yes, there's physical attributes to the world, but there's also a morality that God has built in that he has created us to live in a certain way. To, to love God and to love people and to operate in that way. And what he's saying is when we come up against those, when we traverse the absolutes that God has woven into, that is created into creation, there is an awareness that there's something wrong. And, and that's whether when someone wrongs you, 
And you feel that? Or when you wrong someone else or when you sin and you ignore God, you feel that? It's not just a feeling. It's real. It's a real thing. It's the way God has created that wor- this world. And if we ignore that and we just say it's a feeling and it's not a real thing or it's a construct that man has made up, we will continue to suffer and struggle through that. And so forgiveness is hard, but it's necessary because God commands it, but it's also necessary because the consequences that come along with it are real and you can't just ignore them. We can pretend like you can, but you can't. And if we try to, it just continues a downward spiral that makes things more and more difficult. And so when Jesus calls us to forgive and to pray that we would be forgiven and that we would extend that forgiveness, he knows how important this is. It goes to the very center of who we are in our relationship with God, that we need to be forgiven. We need to be reconciled to God, which is exactly what Paul's talking about here in chapter five. But we also need to extend that forgiveness. When we're not accepting the forgiveness that God offers us in Jesus, and we're not extending it to others, it warps the way we see God. It warps the way we see people. It warps the way we see our relationships. And then we begin to live with this burden that causes all kinds of issues. As we harbor unforgiveness. There's a direct correlation in the harboring our unforgiveness that we're not understanding the grace that God has given to us. And it's detrimental. And it's hard. And it's difficult. And we struggle through that. And what happens is is in our own life, if we're not accepting the forgiveness that God's given us, then our relationship with God is warped. And then we seek to earn our way back. And it's a constant battle of seeking to earn my good standing before God, which I never conquer and I never quite get there. And it's always a pressure and a problem and a frustration. If I don't extend forgiveness to those that have wronged me in my life, then what happens? The wrong that they did in the past now has power over me in the present and in my future. And I continue to live in that. And so it's hard, but it's necessary It's necessary because God commands us, but it's also necessary because there's an integral link to understanding the grace of God in your own life, but it's also detrimental when we don't forgive. And it continues to cause more and more issues the longer we go into that. And so I want you to think about that for just a second, how important that is. If we continue to harbor that unforgiveness and how difficult that can be. And I don't want to make light of that. We could easily go around the room and you could share stories or different things where you've really been wronged in your life. Really been wronged and maybe even the law has been broken. There are things that should be brought to justice. There are things that are wrong and you are right to want justice for those things. And don't hear me saying that that's not the case or we sweep that under the rug. God is the God of justice. It is because you are made in his image, because these things are real, because there are absolutes in this world that you long for things to be set right. And that is good. That is not sinful or wrong to want to see those things set right. We are made that way. We are made in God's image. And so I don't want you to hear me belittling suffering. 
or wanting justice. But there's a difference between wanting justice and then sliding into revenge. Or sliding into harboring anger. Or sliding into harboring unforgiveness towards others. And I want you to think about how the cross helps us to understand and change that. And so the first thing is that our problem that we face is that we need to forgive. But it's hard. But even though it's hard, it's necessary. And if we don't, it causes all sorts of issues. So how does the cross change that? How does what we see God doing for us through Jesus change that? And the first step that you need to see is we going to look at this passage in Romans 5 and what it says that Jesus does for us and the way he does it. But there's an absolute point that's critical in this that we need to understand. And that is this, that all sin is ultimately against God. Right? Luke just read that in Psalm 51 this morning. Against you, you alone, God, have I sinned. Psalm 51.4. That sin is ignoring God or rebelling against God in the world that He created. He alone. And so all sin is ultimately against God. Now, I want to be careful again in the way we say that. Because someone could have greatly wronged you and you could say, they have sinned against me. And that would be right to a degree. We feel the consequences of sin of other people in our life. And we get wounded and we get hurt by it and it affects us. But what we need to understand is that sin, whatever it is that wounded you, was ultimately ignoring God and the world he created. Give you an example. The Bible says to not commit adultery. Adultery defined in the Bible means uh, entering into a sexual union with someone other than your spouse. One man, one woman for life in a monogamous committed relationship is the way God designed it. And if we go against that and we sleep with someone who is not our spouse, then other people get hurt. Now, that does include uh, before you're married, sleeping with anyone that you're not married, committed to. But it also means if you were to go outside your marriage vows and then be unfaithful within that. And so if we use that example, we would say if you're unfaithful to your spouse, then they get hurt. That they would be betrayed and there would be a deep hurt that comes with it. And there would be a sin in many senses against them in the sense of you've gone against this one that you've made the commitment to. But the sin itself is ultimately against God because God who created all things, who knows how it works, who loves you deeply, who knows exactly what you need, says this is the way my creation works. And yes, other people will get hurt in that in that rebellion. But what you're ultimately saying is, God, I think I can handle this on my own and I can go outside of that and do it myself. All sin is ultimately against God, which leads to the next part where we see the cross begins to change this to have true and real forgiveness. It has to come from the author of life, your creator from God, because your sin is ultimately a rebellion against him. Other people get hurt in it, but it's ultimately a rebellion against him. That's the way Jesus talks the way he does when he comes and he walks on earth. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Jesus says some kind of crazy things if you just meet this guy and you don't know who you're talking to. I'm thinking of a Luke chapter 7, the story of where they, they lower the paralytic down in front of Jesus. You know this story? Guy's paralyzed. 
His couple friends bring him to Jesus. They believe he can heal him. They can't get close to him, so they climb up on the roof and they lower him down right in front of Jesus. You know what he says? They lower him down and there he is right in front of him. And Jesus sees him and he goes, my son, I, I see your faith. And he says, your sins are forgiven. And people around actually go, wait, is he forgiving sins? Who is this that he thinks he can forgive sins? But you understand why. If you're around someone who's really wronged you and all of a sudden a guy shows up and he turns to the person who's really wronged you, who's never asked for forgiveness that you're really struggling with. And he says, I forgive your sins. You'd be like, wait a second. They wronged me. You see, what Jesus is saying is that all sin is against God. And that as God in the flesh, he can come into these places and he can forgive sins in these ways. The paralytic story is kind of funny because he says your sins are forgiven and the guy's still laying there. He's like, uh-huh. And? And then he says, so that I have the, you know that I have the power to do this, get up and walk. And he does. But the point there is that Jesus is alone the one that forgives sins through what he has done. And our problem is we need forgiveness from God. Because all sin is ultimately against God. And so to receive forgiveness, it has to start with being reconciled to God. And so look at what he says here in Romans chapter 5. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. See, our ultimate problem, our heart problem is we need forgiveness and we ultimately need forgiveness from God. And until we recognize and understand that and receive that, we can't offer forgiveness, not in the way that God calls us to. And it begins to change when we see that that comes back to who God is and what he's done. And if we really understand what God has done for us in Jesus on the cross, it profoundly changes our experience of forgiveness in the way that we receive it, but also in the way that we can extend it to others. He deals with our need for us. He does what we cannot so that we can be reconciled to him. We are hopeless on our own. We spent weeks on this just not not long ago in Ephesians 2. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy has caused us to become alive in Jesus. That spiritually speaking, we're dead to the things of God because of our sin. And we cannot respond. We cannot be in that relationship We cannot be forgiven or extend forgiveness except for God makes the first move. That it's by his grace that that ever happens. And here's the thing that I want you to see about the cross that we need to understand. That when Jesus comes and he comes to us on the cross, he comes for sinners. That's what it says here. God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He comes for a rebellious, sinful people that are not seeking him except for his grace working in our lives. That we wouldn't do it on our own. That it takes God pursuing us and coming to us. Substituting himself for us. That we could be uh, forgiven. 
John Stott, in his commentary on Romans, says it like this. The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. We've put ourselves in God's place. But the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. That he would take our sin, that he would enter in, that he would do this work so that we could experience his forgiveness and it would change us. By his grace. Stott goes on to say, man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. But God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. That is the heart of the forgiveness that we receive. Jesus has to do it for us. All sin is against God. We are not reconciled with him. We cannot do it on our own. So Jesus does it for us. And so when we look closely at what Jesus does, the thing that has the power to melt our hearts, to change the way we experience and we extend forgiveness is what Jesus has done for us. Jesus' death is the only one who ever died and it was a personal act because he chose it. Let's say that again. Jesus' death is the only one who ever died that was a completely personal act because he chose it. He freely chose to die. Then you say, wait a second. What about someone who commits suicide? They choose to die. They choose the time and they choose to die and they die because they made this act. But I want you to think about that for just a second. In that case... If you were to remove the time in which a person chooses suicide, would they still die? Yes. They're speeding up the timetable of, of when it happens, but they would still die. Jesus left his throne and the glory that he had from all eternity and he entered into this life. And as he came into this life, he lived sinlessly and perfectly in every way. And he didn't deserve death. He didn't deserve any of the struggles that come with sin, any of it, but yet he chose it. And he came to the end of his life and he freely decided to lay down his life. If you're unsure of that, Jesus says it over and over. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. Or in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night they would come to take Jesus. The night they would arrest him. He'll be crucified on Friday morning. Thursday night they show up in the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest him. And what happens? Peter tries to stop it. He says, this isn't going to happen like this. And he pulls out his sword and he cuts the guy's ear off and he starts saying, we're not doing this. And Jesus goes, put it away. And then he says, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once send more than 12 legions of angels. But how then should the Scripture be fulfilled that it must be so? Do you hear what He says? Peter, do you think I can't get out of this? Do you think I can't just be done with this at any moment that I decide? He says, no, 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 I'm choosing to do this. I've made the decision that I'm going to lay down my life as a sacrifice for many. That we can experience forgiveness and reconciliation with God. And so Jesus is saying, this is not an accident that's gone horribly wrong. This is the plan all along. I'm choosing to do this. And so when we see what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we see that God loves us so much that He takes sin so seriously that He chooses to come into this life and deal with our mess. 
to take our sin upon himself, to purchase our forgiveness by what he does for us at the greatest cost to himself. Even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we're rebelling against him, even when we're enemies, think about Jesus on the cross and what he says. As they mock him and they spit him, spit at him, as they say, oh, if you're the Messiah, come down and save yourself. And in the midst of all of that, in great agony and pain, as Jesus bears the wrath of God for you and me, he stops and he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Even while we're sinners, he offers forgiveness. Come to me and I will forgive you. And so in Jesus, we see how he can say to us in Matthew 6, The way that you forgive others, I will forgive you. Does that mean that you're saved by being really great at forgiving other people? No, it means that as you understand the grace of God in your own life, it transforms the way you see everyone else in your life. My entire standing before God is by the grace of God in my life and nothing else. And when I begin to understand that, it leads me to be able to forgive others. So when Paul says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Do you understand what he's saying? The level to which you're understanding the grace that God has given you then becomes an overflow to the way that you forgive other people. And it begins to melt our heart. It begins to humble us. All my sin is actually against God, but yet he has taken it upon himself and he's forgiven me. And it leads me to live a life of thankfulness. Out of what Jesus has done for me that is so great that I can now forgive others. And so I want you to think about the power of that and then the hope that comes with that as we begin to live into this. As we experience the forgiveness of God in our own life, it begins to well up and overflow to forgiveness to other people in our life. And I want you to understand and think about how that works. As the gospel works in you, the good news that God has done what you could never do for you. He's forgiven you by no doing of your own, by grace Through faith, you have been saved, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. And the more that becomes real to you, as the Holy Spirit is working in your life, and it's convicting you of sin, and yes, the Holy Spirit does convict you of sin. Not shame and not guilt, but healthy conviction as you bump up against the absolutes that God has set forward. Because He loves you, He does that. And he convicts you of sin. But then what God tells us the Holy Spirit does. He convicts you of sin and then immediately points you to the forgiveness that's found in Jesus. And so do you see what that begins to look like? Each day you wake up and you struggle with sin in your life and you want to ignore God and you want to rebel against him. But God in his great love for you convicts you of your sin. And then he points you to Jesus. And he tells you that you are forgiven. 
and that you are a new creation and you are made new in Him. And as that happens, what grows is your understanding of God's forgiveness for you in your own life. By grace you have been saved and it is all Jesus is doing. And that begins to change you. And as it does, you become more and more aware of your own rebellion, but become more and more aware and in awe of the lengths that God has gone to to save you and what he's done for you. And then guess what happens? What sin is it around you that you cannot offer forgiveness? As you see what Christ has done for you, what is there that someone could do to you that you can't offer forgiveness for? As you grow in your understanding of Jesus, you begin to understand what Paul's saying. Be kind to one another. Tender hearted. The gospel tenderizes your heart. It softens you. I am desperate in need of Jesus' grace every day of my life. How can I not extend grace to others? That's what God does in and through us. And He continues to do so. And so Jesus says, you for, pray for forgiveness, but then you forgive others. they directly linked together as we see and we grow in those. In light of God's grace to you, it expands the way that you extend grace to others. The forgiveness you've received is the forgiveness that you begin to share with others. And it magnifies Jesus in your life. You see more and more clearly what he's done. So I'm going to end here this morning. I told you at the beginning about my brother, Jed. After a year, the guy that was responsible got probation and two weeks of community service. And as a family, they asked us, well, what about community service? What would you like him to do? I said, well, what if he went to this Christian camp where Jed worked and spent two weeks serving there? And so we talked to some of the people there and they said, yes, that would be great. Let him come. Let's do that. And they said, we'll share the gospel with him every single day here. And so I talked to my brother Jeremiah about that. I said, what do you think? He said, I'm okay with that. He said, I'm actually good with that. And I said, yeah, me too. And then Jeremiah said this. He said, I'm okay with that. I'm good with that because if we had to lose Jed for 40 or 30 or 40 or 50 years, however many years we get on this earth. He said, if we had to lose Jed for those years that we would have enjoyed and had the wonderful time with our brother for God to bring someone else into his kingdom, that we would gain a brother or a sister that would hear the testimony of Jed's life and just imagine the wonderful joy we're going to have celebrating with Jed in eternity about what God's done. Yeah, absolutely. God is bigger than all of that. And in his forgiveness that he, we have received, he is glorified when we do the same. And we trust God that he is just and he will take care of all that. And so I don't have to. And I can trust his forgiveness in light of that. So be tender-hearted, kind to one another, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Let's pray. God, we thank You for the glorious good news of Your grace to us. We thank You that despite our rebellion 
and our sin and our continuing to struggle. That yet while we were sinners, you came and you died for us. And that you've called us to yourself. I pray right now for those that are struggling to receive the forgiveness that you've offered us in Jesus. That this morning that we'd be able to lay those things down at your feet. Accepting the forgiveness that you've given us. That you've paid for all of it. That we can rest in that. I pray that that would be true of each person here today. I pray for those that are struggling to offer forgiveness to others. Lord, you know their heart. You know their suffering. You know their struggle. You know the things where people have been really and truly wronged. I pray that your gospel would shine a bright light over all of that. That you'd bring forgiveness to us, but also help us to extend forgiveness in light of what you've done for us in Jesus. We pray all these things in his precious name. Amen.